0: We're in a series called Who? that began just a few weeks ago. Uh, as you can see to my right, there's a collage, a, a kind of a silhouette, if you will, that's sort of slowly being filled in with a vast array of people, the different types of people. It represents the various ways that God has wired individuals in this body to come together as one body to accomplish the very kinds of things that I just finished talking about. And so over the last several weeks and continuing really up until Christmas, we'll be talking about all of those different kinds of individuals. We've already covered the helper, uh, and we have did that by looking at the biography of Martha and looking at the good, the bad, the ugly of Martha. We've talked about the organizer and how that was embodied by some really resourceful individuals in Scripture like Nehemiah and Jethro and, and some not-so-good people like Judas Iscariot. We've looked at the artist and primarily the, the story of King David and the, the vivid poet poetic expression of, of his heart that we see there. We looked last week at the thinker and the value that people like Solomon and Gamaliel and Thomas even uh, can bring to the body of Christ. And today uh, we look at a person called the loyalist. And and the best example I can give you visually of the loyalist is expressed in this picture. Now, some of you are not going to like this picture because of the black and gold. And I will just tell you that that's okay. We're a place of grace. And sooner or later, you will be as close to Jesus as I am. Okay. Um, I used to play a little football back when my knees weren't so, you know, decrepit. And uh, I spent some time. Thankfully, most of my time was spent on defense. I prefer defense because you can use your hands, um, and it's fun to use your hands, especially with a running back. But at any rate, um, sorry, um, I spent a little time on the offensive line as well. And I want to tell you, the O line is one of those most neglected places on the gridiron. Everybody's looking at the quarterback. Everybody's looking at the running backs. Everybody's looking at the, nobody except the O line coach is looking at the O line. Unless something bad happens, all right? So if something good happens, the backs, the receivers, they get all the credit for what's happening. But you let that QB get sacked. You let that tailback get brought down behind the line of scrimmage for a loss. And all of a sudden, everybody's criticizing the O-line. And here's the thing. Without the offensive line, there is no offense, This is what we know. For those of us who follow the game of football, if you don't have an offensive line, you don't have an offense, it really doesn't matter how good your QB is. You are not going to move forward. And what I've discovered in life is that the football field is not the only place where people who matter the most tend to get the least amount of attention or credit. Have you noticed that? Like the ones that really stand in the gap tends to be the ones that are the least noticeable. And I am convinced that over the next several hours, I'm going to preach to hundreds of you who fit that profile. You spend at least 40 hours a week doing this kind of work. These are the people that hold a company together. They hold families together in times of conflict. They hold churches together in times of transition when things aren't really fun anymore. These are the loyalists. And we need them now more than ever because we're not living in a world that's very loyal. There's a fable about an army soldier bragging to his fellow soldiers about his sexual exploits all over the world. He would find women that he could be with. And he was a married man. And someone asked him what he, what he thought about that. Did he really, Could he really live with himself? Could his conscience uh, really allow him to live in this way? And he says, oh, of course it can. I never cheat on my wife when I'm closer than 50 miles from home. That was his response. Now, that's another way of saying my loyalty goes 50 miles, but no further. And you think about it, that that really is the kind of world that we're living in. And and in that world, the continuance of civilization itself really depends on the kind of person that we're talking about today. And so as we open God's Word to the book of Judges, actually, if you have a copy, you can join me in Judges chapter 6. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, book of Judges. Chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. There is no more appropriate biography, I think, to compare you with if you're a loyalist than that of this man named Gideon. And that's true not only because of the character traits that we're going to see in Gideon, it is true because of the world in which Gideon lived. Gideon lived as a judge at a period in Israel's history in which there were very few loyalists. It was a period described in Judges as a time when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone was asking, what's in it for me? Everybody was a consumer. Nobody was looking outside themselves. And Gideon was a loyalist in the midst of that culture that praised and rewarded disloyalty to everybody but the self. And here's what we're going to see as we look at his kind of the broad view of his story together. Gideon had a call from God that was consistent with the way God created him. And if you're a loyalist, you need to embrace that more than anything else. There's some things you're going to have to get over in order to embrace it. We're going to talk about that over these next few moments. But you need to hear first and last and throughout this message, if you're a loyalist, God has called you in precisely the way that he has wired you. And you need to embrace the only way you'll actually be able to execute that call precisely because of some of the weaknesses that we see in this particular personality. Gideon struggled with self-doubt. He was called by God, but he struggled consistently with self-doubt. Loyalists can make some of the best leaders. Here's the wicked irony that I've observed as a pastor. This type of person, more than any other type of person, is most likely to doubt his or her own ability to lead. And they make the best leaders precisely because of their character. Gideon changed history. And if you're a loyalist, you have that exact same capacity. And so let's take a look at the life of Gideon, beginning with the call of Gideon. It happens in a rather bizarre way. Uh, Beginning in verse 12 of Judges chapter 6, we read, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's an important uh, tagline that we'll come back to. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us over to the hand of Midian. It's like, if, if you're really true, you, the first thing you say is the Lord is with me, it doesn't feel like he's with me. Because all those stories I read of my ancestors who are long dead, I don't see God coming through in that way. What's the angel's answer? Well, the Lord says to him through this messenger, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Is that a frightening prospect? God, why are you allowing this to happen? So I can use you to change it. What? This is how this dialogue opens up. And on the surface, it seems strange because Gideon is not a warrior. He's called a mighty man of valor, but he's not a warrior. And nothing of what we have observed in his life up until this point would suggest that courage and valor would be the first things that would come to his neighbor's minds what do you think about Gideon? Oh, mighty man of courage, mighty man of valor. No, if you ask Gideon's neighbor, what do you think about Gideon? Oh, isn't he the little hermetic guy that's over there underneath the oak tree, you know, grinding out grain in the wine press? That's the guy. The one that's trying to be invisible. The one that if there was such a thing as a witness protection program, he would eagerly enter it. That's what they're thinking about when they think about Gideon. And the Lord answers, when the Gideon says, why, why am I living in this kind of world? The Lord says, essentially, so that I can empower you to deliver them from that world. Which sends his fear factor into the stratosphere. And here's the big idea. God could have chosen someone more capable than Gideon. God could have chosen someone who had the military training. God could have chosen someone who wasn't trying to hide. God could have chosen someone who's yelling from the ground, throw me the ball. But he doesn't do that. And apparently, it's because above the skill and the charisma and the capacity to lead, there are some traits that God values even more, like reliability and dependability and determination and prudence, all the traits of a healthy loyalist. They're always there. Um, And and I have experienced that through the loyalists that that are on our staff, one of whom just finished leading up until the point that I got up here to preach. Pastor Ken fits this profile. And I'm going to tell you some things about Ken. I I have been concerned about a lot of things, legitimate and illegitimate, since I've been your pastor, because I'm a human being. There are things that I am concerned about. I I worry about where we're headed. I get concerned uh, about the souls of people here, about situations and families. Uh, I get concerned about strategies and whether or not they're going to work. Uh, I think about what needs to happen and where we need to be staffed five years out, ten years out. I'm constantly occupying my mind with those kinds of things. In the nearly three years that I've been here, let me tell you what I have never ever worried about, not one single time, and it was the worship that was going to happen on the stage. You know why? Because there's a loyalist leading it. Someone who is dependable, someone who is reliable, someone who is trustworthy, somebody who is not going to have a nervous breakdown five minutes before we all come out here onto the stage. You have no idea not only what a blessing a guy like Ken is to a man like me, but to people like you. And we've got hundreds of people like Ken in front of me in the next service. We've got these people in spades. I mean, for a large number of the people that I'm looking at right now, the statistics would bear out that there are more loyalists in our society than any other kind of person. And I think God would say to you today what he said to Gideon in the days of the judges. I believe his desire today is to call out of you that warrior leader that is present in you. So he's going to start by calling you something that you don't identify with, okay? It will be like God calling me, hey, power forward. Yeah, that's not me. Some of you feel that way. Mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, mighty warrior. Who? You. I'm talking to you. Here's why God approaches people like you to lead. It's because when there is chaos in the land... When there is brokenness in the family, when there is division within the church, when there is uncertainty about the future, where do you normally turn? Is it the person with the most charisma? Typically, it tends to be a person that you know you can count on. This is why for most of us, grandmother's house is a great place of refuge, right? Because it's been there for years and she's always there. And when the day comes that she passes and goes to meet Jesus, it's one of the reasons it just tears a hole completely through us. It's because that, that steadiness, that dependability, that reliability, it feels like it's been, it's been pulled away from us. The reason for that is because in our most uncertain times, we tend to, to gravitate to the most secure places. And those secure places tend to be governed by the most dependable, reliable people. The loyalists among us. Some of our most beloved people around here, some of the people who have held this place together throughout our history long before I ever got here are not people who could necessarily do what I'm doing right now. It may completely freak you out to be up under these lights, but they are people that if you know them, you have such confidence in them, you would go to them with anything. And if you are that person, God through the story of Gideon is calling you to do what Gideon did, step out from under that oak, step away from the wine press, out from the shadows, and walk in your true identity as a man or a woman of valor. Now, here's the thing. In order for you to do that, if you're a loyalist, there's a huge chasm that you're going to have to cross. Okay? It is the besetting sin of every loyalist. Now, every, every one of these types that we're going to discuss throughout the series has a besetting sin. Remember the helper with Martha? It was pride. I've run out of resources and I'm not going to be seen as the end-all be-all Messiah of all things. Uh, I can't help anymore now. I have to be helped. Uh, and that brings shame to me. So it's pride with the helper. With the organizer, it's deceit because I'm not as concerned about the way things are as I am the way things look. And so I want, think- I want to make sure I project always a positive image. And if I get to a point that I can't project that image, some really bad things could happen. With the artist, it's envy. Someone else creates something better than me. Someone else seems more special, more unique than me. With the thinker, it's greed. I don't have enough, not money. Money's usually okay with the money. I don't have enough information. I got to know more. And until I know more, I'm not moving. Well, if you're a loyalist, you too have a a besetting sin. It's fear. Fear. Gideon prepares a a rather elaborate offering in chapter 6. And the Lord's acceptance of that offering gives him so much confidence that a few uh, verses later we read the following. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So he tears down the altar because he knows it has to be done. And what's the reaction from the populace? You know, there's all this positive energy out there now that says, if you'll just do the right thing, people will praise you. Not always. Sometimes they get really, really angry. Then the men of the town said to Joash in in verse 30, Bring out your son that he may die. We are going to kill this guy. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. He has taken away our idols. And that is wrong, and he deserves to die for that. Now, who would have imagined that in a world where everyone does what is right in his own eyes that someone taking a stand against moral chaos would become the enemy but if you do that that's what precisely what you're going to become to some people you're going to become the enemy this is what gideon feared the most he didn't want to be the center of attention let alone the center of conflict and it ties his stomach in knots and he's all been out of shape wondering what is going to happen next I imagine I'm probably talking to some people like that. You you hate conflict. To the point of avoidance. Like, even even if it's necessary, I don't don't really want to be a part of it. If you're a loyalist, there's a reason for that. It's because the besetting sin in your life is fear. Let me tell you something about that fear. The source of it is Satan. 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 I don't think it's any surprise, or at least it shouldn't be any surprise, that when it comes to somebody God wants to use as a warrior, that Satan, our enemy, would use fear as the thing to paralyze that person. I don't think that should surprise any of us. And when that happens, the result is self-doubt. I don't know if I can do this. God's calling me to be a mighty man of valor, a man, a warrior. He wants me to take an army and lead them against the Midianites, and I can't even win a moral battle in my hometown without people wanting to kill me. All kinds of self-doubt begins to creep in. And on the surface, the way that sometimes gets projected is people will look at you and they may think, that that guy's paranoid. They may say, that guy's dogmatic. He he just doesn't move. Well, it's not necessarily because he's stubborn. It's maybe because he or she is afraid and they're paralyzed with fear, timidity. They they just don't seem to be able to make a a, a concrete decision, indecisive, anxious, and security conscious. Because everything in Gideon's life right now is driven by an exaggerated need for security. And in the worst cases, your fear is projected onto other people to the point that you live in fear of everybody around you. So in the middle of this, Gideon, here's the call of God. You are a mighty man of valor. This is the identity I'm calling out of you. This is the army I'm calling you to defeat. This is the future I'm calling you to lead God's people into, mixed with the kind of harsh resistance that he faces just right there in town. Gideon says, "I, I need more assurance from the Lord. And so he lays out a fleece made of wool, and he says, Lord, I need to know that you're going to save Israel using me. I have to know this. And so here's how I'll know. God, I'm sorry to put you to the test, but could you please arrange things so that when I wake up in the morning, the ground is bone dry and all of the morning dew has collected itself in that fleece. And if you will do that for me, and I wake up in the morning and I see the ground dry and the fleece wet, then I will believe that I am who you say I am and that you have called me to do what you have called me to do. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. He gets up the next morning. The ground is as dry as a bone. The fleece is so wet, he actually has to wring it out. Now, you would think on top of all that, Gideon would be ready to go. Okay, that's it. But then Gideon says, Lord, one more test. Please don't be angry with me. I just need to be sure if this time you could let the ground be wet, and the fleece be dry. I don't know if it's possible for God to roll his eyes, but this might have been one of these moments, right? Here's what God does. He provides that assurance for him. He provides it for him. And this is a a quick turn that the reader doesn't expect. If you're reading this story, Gideon is empowered with two things. He is surrounded, number one, by a vast... To the, to, the, to the tune of 22,000 men, all well trained. that's the size of his standing army and he should be further bolstered by the fact that he has heard the very voice of God. But he hesitates. You ever work with anybody like that? Maybe you are that person. You hesitate. you give them you get every resource that's available to you. You still have trouble pulling the trigger. You might at that moment be walking in fear. You might be a loyalist who's, who's walking in the flesh. And this, by the way, has nothing to do with knowing the will of God. God's will in this text has been made abundantly clear. So this isn't about being sure of what God wants. Gideon's just stalling. He's looking for any reason he can find to back away. Now, here's the remarkable thing in the middle of all this. God accommodates his requests. There's a wet fleece on dry ground and the next morning. There's a dry fleece on wet ground. God is, is easing him into this, lovingly guiding this man every step of the way. And for some of you, this scenario is like looking in a mirror. You read the story of Gideon, you see yourself so clearly. It's like, yep, that's me. Even when I know God's calling me to do something, I hesitate. Fear dominates me more than I'd like to admit it. That self-doubt comes from the great liar, the one that Jesus said was the father of lies. In fact, I'll tell you, there is no more in my mind, no more clear evidence of satanic deception than when our enemy takes an otherwise reliable, faithful, dependable person and successfully convinces them through fear that they're incapable of leading. My hope and my prayer is that you'll be freed from that deception today. God has given you that capacity to lead. Think about who we're talking about here. These are people with enduring commitment. I mean, we have them in spades here at Covenant. There's a reason, brothers and sisters, that Covenant Church is not only thriving and moving well into its future, there's a reason we still exist. It's because of the loyalists among us, the ones who have stuck by the stuff for all of these years. Ten years, this place was in decline. And when things stopped being fun, when conflict erupted, when people became concerned only for their own point of view and they bailed, when things got tough, there you are still. If that's you, I should have you stand up, but you're kind of like getting, You want to kind of stay in the shadows, so I won't. But I know you. I know who you are. And if that's you, you are precisely the people to lead us into our future. You are who God is calling even now because of your enduring commitment and your awareness of risks. If you're healthy and walking in the Spirit, the thing about a good healthy loyalist is they can keep us from taking reckless risks and empower us to take the calculated ones that will get us where God wants us to be. Let's learn together how to overcome fear and self-doubt because that's the only thing really keeping you from becoming everything God intended you to become. You are paralyzed with fear. You know what the answer is to that fear? It's not the absence of fear. God in all likelihood will not take your fear away. Okay, that's the bad news. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to demonstrate his power over your fear. Let's look at the power of God in the life of Gideon, beginning in chapter 7, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So this is the moment. God says to Gideon, I allowed you to test me, even though my word says that's a big no-no. You don't do that. You hear my voice and you obey. You cross the line twice. And I honored you and I accommodated you to give you assurance that it was, in fact, me. You have tested me. Your turn, Gideon. Now I'm going to test you. So Gideon finally builds up the courage. He's ready to move. He's got 22,000 well-trained men in a standing army behind him, ready to go against the Midianites. And God says, all right, wait a minute, before you go, there's too many of them. You want to freak out a loyalist? Take away the resources you just gave them. There's too many. You can't do this. Here's the first test. You ever been tested in this way by God, by the way? Here's the first test. Verse 3. Therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Gideon, I want you to look at this standing army of 22,000 men and say to them, take a leave of absence, and if you don't want to come back, you don't have to. If you don't want to go to war, you don't have to. If you're afraid, you don't have to. All these people that we've invested in. Here's the thing, if you're afraid to, to release people because of their fear... You're paralyzed with fear. This is part of the issue with with an unhealthy loyalist. Sometimes with a loyalist, relationship can so override the mission that they'll excuse bad behavior. They'll excuse poor performance. God's saying, you know, what? if there's anybody too afraid to go after this point, cut them from the team and make it easy for them. Make it easy. So 22,000 men went home. 10,000 came back. So we're down 12,000. And then comes the second test. We see it in the next verse. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number. You've taken me from 22,000 down to 10,000, and we can't even count the army on the other side. And here's what God's going to do. If you're a loyalist and he's going to prepare you for your greatest moment, if he's going to call out the mighty man or woman of valor in you, he is going to push against your fear. That takes us to verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. (laughs) 10,000 against the number that can't be counted. What what are you talking about? Yep, here's what you're going to do. Take them down to the river and let them drink. There are gonna be two types of people. There are gonna be people who get down like this and they're gonna scoop the water up. And then there are gonna be people who lap the water up like a dog. The ones who lap the water up, the ones that stick their face in it, cut them from the team. And I have to tell you, I'd, I'd totally be cut at this point. My, my first job, I was 14 years old, was in a South Carolina cornfield 90 degree, uh, 90% South Carolina humidity, 100 plus degree South Carolina heat. And you're having to wear long sleeves like this because the silk it gets all over you and you get itchy. So it was a question, do you want to be sweaty or you don't, do you want to be itchy? Okay. That's what actually I got paid for, the choice of being sweaty or itchy. And, and every several hours we'd have a break. And there was a stream that would run by that cornfield. And, and we would go down there and we would get a drink. And every single time. Because I'm hot, and I'm thirsty, and I don't have time to scoop it up. So you know what I did? I walked down, shoes and everything, into that creek. I got down on all fours like this, and I did a long push-up. And I just stayed right here for the longest time. I'm just soaking that stuff up. I would have so been cut from this team, But I would not have been alone, because out of 10,000, 9,700 did that. And so now you have a man with 300 men against an army that can't be counted, and the only thing to his back is the voice of God. That's all he has. And the Lord says, okay, it's time to go to war. This is the question that Gideon has to ask himself at this moment. And if you're a loyalist, it's going to be the question. I'm telling you, God wants to use you as a mighty man or woman of valor, but you've got to get past this question, do I... Do I choose to doubt myself or do I choose to believe my God? Which is it? Because there's no third direction here. You're going to have to pick a team. And thankfully, there's one final piece of evidence that God is in fact calling Gideon to do this. One of his soldiers has a dream. In chapter 7, verse 14, we read the following. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Notice how the perception of Gideon has changed. He's no longer, longer the hermetic type that's trying to stay in the shadows, working at the wine press. Now he's out of the shadows, and the perception of him is now very different. This is the man whose sword will save the people of Israel. And this is apparently the confirmation that Gideon needs because we read in the very next verse, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. The loyalist is finally not only going to be dependable and reliable and trustworthy, but faithful and victorious because God intends to reward precisely that kind of behavior. Some of you are listening to me right now, and that's who you are. You're loyal, you're dependable, you're steady, but you also simultaneously, you live your whole life with this low level of anxiety and fear. It may even come out medically. You may suffer from panic attacks. Your stomach stays tied in knots all the time over worst-case scenarios that have never happened. And I hear the giggling because I know it's true, right? Right? You're going to dream up the worst possible thing. How many of you would say, I've been there, I've done that, I've lost sleep at night over stuff that never happened and never even came close to happening, but I obsessed over it? If that's where you are, God wants to give you courage, precisely the kind of courage that we see in the life of Gideon. Would you like to have that kind of courage? That's the good news of God's word is that you can have it and God can give it to you and God wants to give it to you because in a world where everyone does what is right in his own eyes, God picks the loyal to do his most important work. And we see that work getting done by the time we get to verse 23. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh and they pursued after Midian. They won. The reliable, dependable, responsible Gideon is now also the the courageous, God-anointed leader, Gideon. And for some of you, that may be your biggest barrier. Others have convinced you or maybe you've convinced yourself that I can't lead, I cannot accomplish great things for God in his power. You are constantly uncertain about your place. You're constantly asking, where am I? You're going to have to ask yourself the same question Gideon had to ask in that moment of of decision. Do I doubt myself or do I believe my God? Which are you going to do? One World War II veteran who who actually charged Utah Beach put it this way. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid but doing it anyway. And that's what God wants you to do. He, He doesn't want you to escape your fear. He wants you to crucify it. He wants you to overwhelmingly conquer it. And the story of Gideon proves that he can do that, that you are capable in his power of doing that. And and here's the one difference between you and Gideon. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, but he's this great Bible hero, and I'm just, I don't know, Pastor, I I just do IT for a living. Well, you have one great advantage that Gideon did not have, and it is the point and history in which you live. See, Gideon lived on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't even know the name of Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. You, on the other hand, do. You and I live on the other side of the cross, and that means in moments of disbelief and doubt, when we are faced with that same question that Gideon was faith with, do I doubt myself or do I believe my God? There's a question that we can ask ourselves that Gideon didn't have. And it's the question Paul asks in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's the question that you have to ask, answer. Who God is, specifically who Jesus is, and what he did proves there is nothing you need that God will not provide, and you know that because of what he provided to you in Jesus. If he gave you his son, he will give anything and everything else you need. As one preacher said, if he gave the best, he'll give the rest. He's already proven to you in the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and the promise of his soon return that you will have not just Jesus for your salvation, but everything else you need to execute the mission that God has called you to and to lead others to do the same, which means God is calling you into your true identity. You are not a coward. You are not someone who is supposed to spend the rest of your life not being noticed. You are not someone who is incapable of doing the hard things. And when you can connect with the presence of God who has given his son and who on the basis of that will provide everything else, you can get from him that internal sense of authority and capability that will make you a most valiant woman or man of God. That's the promise. That's the story of Gideon. That story can become your story, but you have to stop doubting yourself and start believing your God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, that you take the most unlikely people and use them to do the most powerful things. And so if there's anyone here today struggling with self-doubt, Father, may you turn that, that focus toward you specifically toward the cross and the resurrection that guarantees them eternal life. And out of that, may they have the confidence that you will resource them with everything else that they need. Lord, I pray that as a result of, of what your word has declared today, that there would be people who've been in the shadows who will step out and lead. That there will be people who've been struggling with fear that will step out and become mighty men and women of valor. That those, those leaders will surprise all of us that they will take their rightful place among your church, that they will conquer in your name, that they will lead this body to its greatest days. Father, the best truly may be yet to come and it all really depends on whether or not we're willing to overcome our fears and put our trust in you. For the loyalists among us, for those who work with them, I pray for, for warm and complimentary relationships and I pray for confidence to be instilled and the people who need it today, the people who you have called to be warriors. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.